This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal, and I'm Jaskhan Nam. And this is uh, Jamal Dejani. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We continue to be producing the Arab Talk show from our in-quarantine, sheltered-in-place locations in Northern California. You know, Jamal, we have a lot to talk about today. We have a great show. We're going to be talking a little bit about kind of the Arab point of view of the coronavirus and quarantining and things like that, and then getting to some other topics related to the Israeli apartheid plan to annex uh, more of Palestine. But as a backdrop for both of our discussions today, I think, uh, you know, our listeners are probably well aware that the situation with the coronavirus since last week, since we last spoke, has gotten significantly and appreciably worse. So, you know, a lot of topics to cover today, and uh, there's a lot of important information to review. Yeah, just and, uh, and I should say that you've been warning about this, and we will be talking after we listen to and uh, watch this interview together. Uh, you know, some states now are warning that they might be uh, uh, bringing back the, you know, the quarantine, uh, asking people to stay at home in certain, in certain areas because right. the numbers has uh, risen quite a bit. So we were, uh, I was very delighted this week that we were able to make contact with uh, an old colleague of mine, just uh, Iman Jamal. She started as an intern at uh, Mosaic when I was uh, the producer of Mosaic at Link TV. And uh, afterwards, she went to grad school, and now she is in the United Arab Emirates in, uh, you know, Dubai, where she is, uh, she works in communications at Snapchat. And, wow. uh, and, and she, with her entire family, just contracted COVID-19. You know, started with her husband, uh, who is also, I should say, they were, they all, uh, were here right here in the Bay Area before they went to the UAE a few years ago. And, uh, you know, he's a lawyer um, and that started with him. And and then it's her and they also have two kids. Uh, oh. Luckily, the, the two young kids, uh, they were asymptomatic. And then also her mother, who's diabetic. Oh, no. Yeah, so, so uh, and, and you listen to this uh, very interesting uh, interview, her struggle, uh, the big ordeal that they've had, and, and then you, you listen to her, they've done everything by the book, by the way, you know, uh, making sure they weren't going out uh, all the time, uh, wiping everything down with antiseptic, even doorknobs, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but in the UAE, you need to have a permit even to leave the house. Right. Yeah, so you need to get a permit, and it just basically allows you to, to go to the grocery store or for right. an important errand. So with all these precautions, it started with their husband, and then it went on. So let's watch. Joining Arab Talk from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, Iman Jamal. Iman has, along with her family, uh, went through a terrible ordeal. She, uh, and they all actually have contracted uh, COVID-19. But also, I mean, this is good news because I'm glad to see you doing better, Iman. Uh, welcome to Arab Talk. Thank you. Thank you. 
So you you actually wrote a very moving uh, account of your ordeal on Facebook and uh, y- you know basically talking about the different steps that you've you've gone through and the experience and and, and I mean you're basically you have survived this I mean uh, yeah COVID-19 many people um, didn't survive it or had worse results so what what did really happen? So this happened basically, uh, my husband uh, was not feeling well one day and we just thought it was like a sinus infection or dehydration or something. And then over the following three days, he developed really bad symptoms that included fever and shaking and cr- he couldn't move and he, could, he had severe headache. Um, and then I pushed him. I was like, you should go get tested. He's like, oh, it's, it's, it's probably just a sinus infection. And finally, when I pushed him, he got tested. Uh, they hospitalized him right away, actually. They said that you need to stay in the hospital because you have tested positive. And his x-ray showed a really bad result for his lungs. Um, and so when I heard that, I obviously got super scared. I went myself and got tested. And unfortunately, the following day, I got a positive result as well. And at that point, I didn't have super bad symptoms. I just had a, an itchy throat. Mm. Um, and after I realized I was positive, I was like, okay, my mom is also was visiting here and she got stuck when the lockdown happened. Uh, I have two children, my five and a half year old and my one and a half year old. And we have the nanny that helps me with the children. So they all got tested and they were all positive. And um, they hospitalized all of us in Dubai because my mother was high risk. Clearly, I had two kids. They haven't developed any symptoms, the kids, but they, they, wanted, they, need, they needed to monitor them. Um, and we were hospitalized. I was in the hospital for about 18 days. Uh, I was okay for the first five days or so, but around day six, I started to develop very bad symptoms. At the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it didn't hit me that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then everything started to happen, you know, the shortness of breath, the body pains, the headaches, uh, and all this stuff. And it was just, uh, I would say, one of the hardest experiences that I've gone through in my life um, on, a, on both an emotional level and a physical level. Uh, before we talk about this, but you also wrote that you've done everything basically to the book you followed you you know during the lockdown you stayed at home absolutely absolutely we were both we were both working from home you know full time i set up office in one bedroom my husband in the other room the kids were not in school or any nursery we were home all the time we did not see one single person or friend throughout um, and our, the lockdown was quite strict where if we left the house, we actually had to sub- apply to get a permit from the Dubai police to be able to leave. Um, so we would only leave when we had that permit to go get groceries or to go and get um, or to the pharmacy. And at home, we were I, w- I was very, very, very careful, tried to do everything literally from wiping doorknobs all day and wiping light switches to cleaning all the groceries when they come, when we bring them into the house, wiping everything down with Clorox, washing every fruit and vegetable. Like we were super, super careful taking off the clothes and putting them, um, when we'd come into the house, putting them in the laundry directly. Um, a lot of details of how careful we were. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we just don't know how it happened. Like, was it something 
you know, was it a package? Maybe, I don't know that we, we were ordering Amazon things, but still, even when we got the deliveries or anything, we would wear gloves and a mask. Um, which is which is really, I mean, you've probably done more than most people. I have done more than most people I know in the UAE and abroad. And, you know, a lot of people used to laugh. They're like, she's so careful, but she'll probably be one of those people that never gets it because she's so careful. And then you never know. You never know. And, and we still don't know how it happened. And and the UAE, just let's talk a little bit about the UAE, D- Dubai. It's not a high rate, uh, you know, comparatively to the rest of the world, like, you know, to the United States or to Spain or to France, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a bit under control. I mean, they they had the they started to peak a bit. Um, maybe two weeks after I was hospitalized, the numbers started to increase a lot, and now they're decreasing a bit more. So then, uh, of course, now you're doing better. You still you, you said something like you still have some side effects. Like you really don't totally after they released you from the hospital you're not uh, 100% you're not 100% back no, absolutely but- not absolutely not so they don't release you from the hospital here um, at least when i was there until we you test negative twice so for uh, they were basically making us do the quarantine in the hospital because they needed to monitor the children my mother who was high risk so once you test negative twice uh, within 24 hours they'll let you ho- go home and when that happened, I came home and I was like, you know, 18 days, I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm probably just feeling tired when I go home. I'm going to relax and everything is going to be fine. And then when I came home, I just started noticing like my symptoms weren't going away. And I was starting to develop new symptoms. And that really scared me. Um, my shortness of breath continued. Uh, really bad chest pain continued. And I started getting... Uh, bad aches in my joints, in my knees, in my lower back. I kept going back and forth to the hospital and to doctors. I started to see different specialists because no one could figure it out. I was testing negative. My blood works were were coming back perfect. Prior to having COVID, I was a fairly healthy person. You know, I'm young. I didn't have any uh, underlying uh, medical issues. I didn't have any history with any medical issues. Um, I'm not, I'm not like the most active person that's always exercising or, you know, or always dieting, but I was, I would say fairly healthy. Yeah. And, and, and I was a, course, a non-smoker as well. I'm not, yeah. I was, I'm, I'm a non-smoker. And then, uh, this, this happened and here I am now, we figured out why I'm having the joint pain and the lower back pain. They diagnosed me with a reactive arthritis that came from the actual, like as a reaction to the virus because of wow. my immune system. Uh, luckily, they say that if it's a reactive arthritis, it's not something you're, it's not an autoimmune or, or genetic issue. So it should subside with time. So uh, fingers crossed, I'm taking anti-inflammatory and arthritis medication for that. But the one thing we cannot figure out, and I have seen more than four different pulmonologists in Dubai, and I will be going next week to Abu Dhabi to see a pulmonologist in Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi, is why am I still having this difficulty breathing and severe chest pain? My x-rays are coming back fine. My blood work is fine. My lung function tests are fine. And yet I'm having this physical symptom that has no medical explanation. And this is what we're finding out uh, now, uh, little by little, about the uh, after effects of this, because people are coming with different things. Because initially they were saying, once you have it, 
uh, you're immune. Initially, they were saying you will be immune to contracting it again. And, and then we're finding that some people have uh, uh, long-lasting symptoms affecting their lungs. And, and, and this is the first time I, I heard about the arthritis, really, from you. Uh, and I'm glad that this is not a, hopefully, it's not a, a long-term and then in your, uh, you wrote, it sounded like uh, your husband, uh, Iyad, uh, had it worse, and which is kind of typical with male uh, the, getting the brunt of the effect. Is that, was that the case? Yes, his symptoms prior to having it were really, really, prior to testing uh, positive were super bad. And when he was in the hospital, his situation was uh, got so bad. Um, the, the the doctors actually said that he was going into a cytokine. I think it's called a cytokine storm, where your immune system start overreacts and starts attacking your organs. Um, and they start they had to they had to like give him be very aggressive with his treatment with the antivirals they were giving him and the medic and the steroids they were giving him um, and. He, yeah, it was quite frightening, his situation when we were in the hospital. But luckily, um, after the aggressive treatment, he made a good turn. And, you know, now we've been out of the hospital for about almost five weeks. Um, for him, even a week before me, he left the hospital for him six weeks. And he's doing perfectly fine. Um, he has, he's, you know, his, his lungs are okay. He's not experiencing any of the symptoms I'm experiencing um he's you know he hasn't done his lung function follow-up yet They're, he's supposed to do it soon but from walking and running and whatever he feels he, like he's fine yeah that's thank god uh for this and then of course yeah. uh, the children were asymptomatic so therefore they're okay right uh, yes the children were asymptomatic they didn't express a symptom they had someone they were with me. they had to be hospitalized with me because they were positive they had a doctor checking on them every single day and they were fine like they were worried about this um this disease that was happening with children what if something develops what if some, a rash happens nothing happened and my mother too we were incredibly worried about and the doctors were very concerned about her because she's 70 she's diabetic she has, you know, uh, many health issues as is. So they were worried about her when we when we went into the hospital. Um, and luckily, she made a, a very good recovery. Thank God. Thank so God. you wrote actually about your experience and 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 basically you're giving people advice. Uh, I was like lo looking through the list and I said, how great that you're doing this because. I mean, I, I, I understand not everyone's experience is the same. However, I mean, for people who read it, they'll, they'll have an idea about what you, you have all gone through. And, and one thing kind of like uh, stuck with me is, uh, at least for Dubai, your appreciation for the doctors and nurses and the hospital workers there. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have a, a cousin in the U.S. who's a doctor who, who's dealing with COVID patients and also my brother-in-law who's also a doctor dealing with uh, in the ER dealing with COVID patients in the U.S. And I was connected with them all the time, updating them. Uh, they were talking to our doctors in Dubai as well, trying to understand what's happening with you know my situation, my husband's, my mom's and all this stuff. And they basically said, you know, you should be very lucky that you were in Dubai when this happened because you would not have 
had similar treatment in the U.S. They would have probably sent you all home to home quarantine, and they would, and God knows what would have happened to your husband's situation because he would have probably been hospitalized at a point when he needed a ventilator, and not before where he was actually treated. Because if he wasn't treated, he would have gotten to the point where he would have been on a ventilator for a month or so. Yeah, for uh, I mean, the fact that you were all admitted right away. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've heard many stories in the U.S. Basically, they just check up on you um, by phone until your situation, as you've mentioned, uh, gets really worse. And then they'll ask you to come. You can't just like you're not going to go to the hospital and get admitted, especially early on when they didn't have enough beds and yeah. and, and ventilators. And then, you, and then, of course, for you, I uh, you had your children with you. So, so, so you had also to be a mom and take care of your your children. How was that? I mean, how, how did Honest, you manage to do this? Honestly, it was very, very, very rough because uh, you know the nurses come and check on you and the doctor, but they come and they're dressed in full gear. They're, they can't do anything beyond just check your vitals, give you your meds, and just leave the room. Like they're scared as well. Like they don't want to be there for a while. And, you know, we were all in the same hospital, but we weren't allowed to leave the rooms or go to someone else's room or no one could come to your room. It was incredibly rough uh, because my daughter is five and a half. She had, you know, as you could imagine, probably three and a half million questions a day about why we're here, what's going on, why am I feeling this way, why did this happen? My son for the first week was just going crazy because he was stuck you know, he's a boy, he's very active, he's stuck mm -hmm. between four walls suddenly without his home, without his father, without his nanny, without his toys, without his comfort zone. Um, it was incredibly rough. And I, I, I just, I remember feeling like I, I need to do this. I, I, I need, there's no other choice. Like, you know, if I don't change a diaper or if I don't feed the young one or if I don't entertain them, like things are going to fall apart. And at this point, we knew we were not going to leave until we were going to test negative. Um, but it became significantly harder when my symptoms started to happen. And so, you know, when you're, when you're like, I started taking steroids and at some point they put me on anti-malaria medication and I'm taking all these drugs and I'm having the difficulty breathing. I'm having the body pain. And at the same time, you know, you have a child waking up every hour in the night and crying and they have their needs. It was so rough. Um, but I, I just, for at some point I was like, I, I, I have to do this. The only way I could do it is to just accept it. And the reality is, in a way, I would rather have them, if we're all infected, have them be with me than me be alone and thinking of them all the time. And, and at then least you, talked, you talked about, actually, of course, you talked, you described your, uh, the physical effect, but, but also you, you talked quite a bit about the mental challenge. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's part of the mental challenge, coping with all of you being in the hospital, uh, and dealing with your children and just trying to kind of gather your energy and be there for them. Yes, and, and uh, absolutely. Because, you know, I, I had my husband in one room who, you know, the doctors were saying was not doing well at all. And then I had my mother who was high risk and they were monitoring and they were very worried about her. And then I had my two kids as well. The nanny was also in the hospital. Um, and I'm thinking of all these people and I have the kids and there is no outlet. Um, 
And I must say it was so anxiety inducing because the doctors would come in and I'm like, what's going to happen? Are, are my symptoms going to get better? Am I, I going to get worse? Uh, how are my lungs? What's going on with my husband? What about my mom? You know, are the kids going to, is anything going to happen to the kids? And, and the answer was always like, we just don't know. We just don't know. Let's just wait and see what symptoms happen. And then we treat the symptoms as they come. That was usually the response. And, the, and they would also say, there's just so much we don't know. And for me, you know, in my head, I'm not a doctor. If, you know, I have a disease or if I'm sick, I'll just go Google the symptoms and I say, oh, this is what's going to happen. And after one week, it's going to go away. And you, you, <laughs> there's but you always talk, like a, You talk about, uh, your, your, actually, your advice was for people not to Google things. Yes, because I did that. I did that in the hospital. I did it, um, I, you know, every time I would have a new symptom, every time I would feel a specific way, I would go and I would read every article out there or... Um, I would read World Health Organization and anything, anything I could find to just try to understand what's happening to me. And it was never conclusive. Every time I Googled anything, my anxiety would shoot up the air. I would get more scared, more confused, and I would never reach an, a, an actual answer or something that would feel like, okay, this makes sense. It just does, This virus does not make sense. Nothing about it makes sense. And so one of my biggest things was like, just don't Google anything because I did it. Mm. And until I stopped, I was really, really, really having a hard time with everything that I was reading. Well, this experience also uh, kind of brought you closer to humanity in a way, because you also said something that you, you were constantly reminded of how beautiful and loving humans are. Yes. So, you know... Uh, how, how, how much people cared about you and you weren't forgotten. Yeah, ex uh, honestly, like you take things for granted. Uh, you know, we all have our friends and our close circles and people we're in touch with. But, you know, between b busy life, having kids, working, whatever, you, you just, life keeps moving so fast. You, 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 you take it for granted at, a, at some point and you never take the moment to like think of each person in your life and what they mean to you. And I was, you know, I was having a, I, I wasn't taking calls when I was in the hospital just because I didn't, I didn't have the energy to. Um, but I, I, so I was taking them only from very close family members, but the messages, um, the, the emails, the prayers, care packages, people were sending things for the toys, message after message, just checking in. I was, it was just amazing how compassionate and how, much everybody wanted to help, but they, they, they knew they couldn't help. Like they were desperate to help to do anything, but they couldn't because it's one of those things that, you know, no one could come to you. No one could help you because no one wants to be exposed to it. Well, uh, I mean, it's beautiful in a, in a way, which uh, this reaction that you received. Uh, and also, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, because I was reading, yeah, you're in a small country and they, you had all the attention in the hospitals because we've, seen and heard many cases that people weren't as, as fortunate. I want to uh, listen, Iman, I'm like uh, looking at you and I'm, I'm so glad that you, you look and you sound healthy. And I know there are, you know, the effect, after effects and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll all disappear and you'll bounce back to being 100%. I hope so. Fingers crossed. This is what we're all hoping for, definitely.
Yeah, so thank you. I really want to thank you uh, for your time and for sharing your experience uh, with us and wish you and wish uh, your husband, Iyad, and, and your mom and the children. Um, I mean, the children doing okay. All Yes, all are doing to do, well. To do really, really well. Uh, and, and yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk in the future on a better times, you know. Yes, definitely a better topic. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a, a follow-up on when my symptoms completely go away. <laughs> yes, yes. But honestly, like just, just to, you know, before ending this, it's, it, this virus is not a joke. I know that lockdowns are easing and all this stuff, but it's really not a joke. It can happen to anyone. Um, like I said in, my, in the thing that I wrote, like, you know, the chances were so slim and out of my first degree connections, I was the only, my family was the only family that had it. So it could happen to anyone. It's scary. It's not like any virus. It's not a cold and it's not a flu. So please everyone just be safe, be careful and take it seriously. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Iman. Thank you, Jamal. Lovely speaking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's uh, a very compelling uh, interview with your former colleague, Jamal Aman Jamal from uh, from Dubai, from United Arab Emirates. Very disturbing, very concerning, um, but it kind of highlights what's been happening with the uh, coronavirus right now and wh what we're finding even in the United States. I'm not too surprised by the way that it's happening in the in the Gulf countries is that we're seeing a greater penetration of the virus even with some of the, you know, recommendations put in place. We've had a relaxing of things just a little bit with people going out, and we're seeing a rapid spread of the virus. In the UAE, for example, and in the Gulf countries in the greater Middle East, um, I worry about two things. I worry about, um, I mean, Dubai is doing a very nice job by keeping people sheltering in place. But even with your colleague, you know, people get infected. But in other parts of the Arab world and the Gulf where there's less, there's less uh, scrutiny of these things and maybe denser populations, you know, we're headed for some big, big disasters. And because many of these countries are not accurately reporting the results, Jamal, I'm afraid that the, one of the next hotspots is actually going to be Gulf countries, Middle East, and North Africa. Yeah, and uh, we're actually witnessing a spike in uh, the numbers of uh, COVID-19 patients in, the, in Palestine, especially right. in the town of Hebron. Just the past, I've been monitoring the news for the past uh, few days, and they've been, uh, you know, updating their reports, and for whatever reason, the town of Hebron has been having higher than usual numbers. And, and you're right, because uh, just recently they've started to relax things, people started to go around and so forth, and now they have uh, more reports of uh, the spread of the COVID-19, including, by the way, a statement made by Benjamin Netanyahu warning that Israel might take some measures of, lo of lockdowns on certain communities in Israel, because Israel is also witnessing an uptick in the COVID-19. Right. And then the other place that I've seen a large kind of change in the numbers is in Lebanon, uh, They where we don't have, you know, if you remember a few weeks ago, we had a guest from Lebanon. Right. And, and they, they, you know, we don't have accurate numbers coming from there. But now, 
things are happening because the political situation in Lebanon, like uh, recently the Lebanese lira has been devalued and people have not been able to access money from the banks. They've been going out and demonstrating uh, in the streets, and then we're we're seeing also a major rise in uh, COVID-19. What I wanted to add to the interview uh, with Iman Jamal is she's not completely recovered. I mean, in, right. in, in, you know, in, for our viewers and our listeners who watch her, she looks great. She sounded great, but she said she still suffers from, you know, the after effects. One of the effects that she's suffering from is some sort of uh, uh, arthritis, Jess. I forgot the name of it, but she mentions it. But luckily, she said this won't, won't be permanent. On, uh, well, you know, we hope so. That's what, so. Her, that's what we the doctors so. told her. Yeah. Uh, and so so you don't know the, the after effects, but she pretty much um, outlined her whole uh, ordeal and how she managed to cope with it. And a very brave woman. Well, th- uh, and, th- and that's my point, Jamal. You have a very intelligent, very brave, very thoughtful, very concerned woman who took every conceivable step to protect herself and her family, and yet they were still infected. And Yeah, and then they live in a country, a very small country, with very low number, like, you know. Exactly. When, when compared, and one of the things she kept mentioning time and time again, and what people were telling her, you know what they were they were telling her because you know she's also like she grew up in the bay area went to school here you're lucky that you are in the uae you know usually you'll hear something about healthcare or oh, you're lucky you are in in san francisco because we have one of the best health healthcare systems in the country but in her case they were everyone is, has been telling her you're lucky that you've been because one uh, they suspected that they've had uh, covid-19 they were all admitted into the hospital. Unlike here, you know, right. only when you're almost on your deathbed, they'll ask you to right. come down to the hospital. So right. before even COVID kind of took hold, hold of them completely, they were all admitted to the hospital and they had doctors and so forth and nurses and healthcare system. And of course, uh, Dubai has uh, modern hospitals and a good medical system uh, there. And, um, you know, so... But here's the problem. Um, <clears throat> and I've been hearing similar things from my contacts in Qatar and uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. All that's well and good, good hospitals, good physicians, good infrastructure. But the key issue as we kind of ramp up to further exposure and further uh, spread of the virus, more people are going to be need to be hospitalized, Jamal. And the UAE and most Middle Eastern countries, in fact, most countries in the world, do not have the capacity for ICU, intensive care unit, beds. In Texas, for example, and in Arizona, there are there may be two or three days from all of their ICU beds being completely um, booked and completely full, just at the time when the, the virus is starting to increase in its virulence and getting exposed to larger numbers of people. I did want to say one thing about Iman. She still has symptoms. Recent reports have come out, Jamal, saying that not an insignificant number of people who got the virus, who recovered and are, quote, okay, continue to have some lingering symptoms, you know, one, two, three, sometimes four months afterwards. So there's still so much about the 
coronavirus, we don't know. Young people seem to be the new, you know, class of individuals in Florida, Texas, and California that are getting exposed. People are having lingering symptoms. And um, based on what Dr. Fauci said yesterday, Jamal, the, the, the way the pattern looks now, it's far worse than I've been saying, <laughs> far worse than what I've been worried about, that we're seeing a dramatic uptick in the number of people exposed to the virus, and it's only going to get worse. And we continue not to have a national strategy. We continue to have a, a administration and a president that insists on going to open air, I'm sorry, closed coliseum-like closed arenas with people not wearing masks and giving these uh, pep rallies and campaign speeches. And um, people are taking the lead. We have pictures from Florida and Texas and Southern California, Jamal, of people going out and marching and doing things on the beach and, you know, relaxing and not wearing masks. <clears throat> In my humble opinion, this kind of politicization of wearing a mask is going to potentially be the downfall of you know significant communities here in the United States and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And then there is a pattern that I've been uh, noticing uh, recently. Of, of course, uh, you and I live in California, and uh, California started uh, on the right track, and now all of a sudden, the numbers have been on the rise. Well, because people have relaxed. And, people are going out more. Exactly. While if you look at what happened in the... Um, in the states where they've had it the worst, like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, things have stabilized. I mean, well, they've had it. They've had it the worst. But I said they, uh, the if you look at the graph, right? You compare it to California, it's not on the quick kind of rise. It's more but I like think it's still too early to tell. Been, has been flattened a little bit. Yeah, but it's still too early to tell because the real issue. What New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are doing this week, Jamal, now they're starting to relax. So the real issue is not that New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut have flattened the curve. The real issue is now that they've relaxed all of the rules in terms of going out and businesses opening, are people going to continue to be smart enough when they do go out to do social distancing, to wear face covers, to wear eye protection, and to do all the other things that you have to do to mitigate and slow down this virus. Mm -hmm. We, if in the next two weeks, Jamal, this is part of what the comp press conference with Dr. Fauci was, if we as a country and as a world community don't take these recommendations seriously, we're headed for a kind of pandemic exposure that is, is beyond, you know, any horrific image that uh, we can imagine right now. Well, as I said last week, the, the litmus test is going to be the 4th of July. Yeah. A weekend. And after that, because what I've been looking at and some of the images that uh, have been posted online and so forth of some of the beaches around the country with the it's unbelievable. people si sitting inches away from each other. It's unbelievable. Getting crowded. And this is nothing because the 4th of July, which is coming up very soon, and that's when everyone is going to be out and uh, out and about. And it's going to be uh, uh, very uh, problematic. Well, well what, I, what, I, what I think is really objectionable is that you continue to have, you know, you have Florida and Texas right now with two governors, DeSantis and the governor of uh, Texas, um, 
who are, you know, obviously big Republicans, big Trump supporters, still not sounding the alarm. Now, the governor of Texas yesterday said, well, if you don't have to go outside, you should stay home. That's not a strong enough statement. So you have the, you have governors of Florida and Texas with some of the most dramatic increases still not accepting reality, Jamal, that this is a pandemic, that we're still in the first wave, and that, you know, because it looks like the infection rate is about 5-6%, there's so much more opportunity for the virus to, to infect people. So um, I, you know, I am... You know, I've been, I feel like, what's the saying, you know, like I'm chicken little. I've been saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. You know, people are just saying, eh, you know, you're an alarmist. Well, you know, I think, you know, my alarm. No, is- you, are, you, you are right. Uh, and, and here is something for you, Jess. Uh, guess what? Uh, the Your American passport is not uh, so special Welcome. these days. <laughs> <laughs> there is no exceptionalism to the United States. The EU Right. Just recently warned that they're about to basically uh, ban all travel uh, for American passport holders, basically, or all travel from the United States. And many countries that op- that are starting to open, like uh, like Greece, uh, they've been listing the countries, like you, mostly uh, European countries, whatever. The United States is on the blacklist. Yeah. Well, as they should be, Jamal. I mean, and this is not a political determination. And the, the reason they're saying is because they're saying because there's a big the United increase. States, uh, Russia and Brazil, that they haven't been doing enough. That's what they're saying. They're not actually combating. But here's uh, another piece of bad COVID-19. news. I'm sorry to give you another piece of bad news. One of the countries that did the best was Germany in terms of shutting this down. And unfortunately, Germany now, from the data that I've seen the last 24 hours, is also in the midst of an increase and a spike. So whatever delusions that uh, people have or that this administration continues to portray that it's okay to go out, you have a president who doesn't wear a mask, you have a, a vice president who counsels Republican governors to say that it's not as bad, we need to reopen the economy. No one doubts that there's economic hardship here, but to compare economic hardship with a mass pandemic in which you know we now have 122,000 Americans that have died, you know, and it looks like that's that number is going to get to 200, 300,000 people. In the best case scenario, if you want to compare apples and oranges, I don't think that's fair. The, the economic hardship is devastating. This is where the government needs to step up and protect people. Um, we need to take this virus seriously. And to our peril, if we don't take it seriously, for sure. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We need to switch gears right. here, Jess, because we have a lot to talk about. I want to start quickly by actually some happy news and uh, at least some happy news on the political level where we're seeing uh, progressives actually are winning key congressional seats. I saw that, uh, especially, yeah. Especially in, in New York, you know, the, of course, the first one was uh, AOC. And now we have... 
Elliot Engel, who for 31 years just basically embodied the Democratic Party establishment hawkish politics. You know, I mean, he's a Democrat, but he acted he's, like a Republican. He's, ter he's terrible. Especially when it came to Israel. He's you know, terrible. Staunchly opposed to any U.S. pressure on Israel over human rights abuses um, or... Uh, you know, didn't even care if they negotiated with the Palestinians against the Palestinian state and uh, uh, the, the pro-Israel groups, uh, APAC and others poured tons of money into his campaign. It was reported at least uh, $2 million were spent basically to save his uh, Bronx, his, his uh, congressman from the Bronx, uh, to save his seat. And yet he was defeated by Jamal Bowman. So I don't know if I'm right, but it looks like uh, Congress is going to have the name Jamal for the very first time. I thought you would be the first congressman, Jamal. <laughs> and, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, he got defeated in the primaries. But, which, but listen, uh, this is such a big deal, Jamal. This is a huge deal. Jamal Bowman is an African-American young AOC, um, you know, in the model of the AOC, deeply progressive. He's a school teacher, right? Yeah, exactly, teacher. exactly. And let's remember who Elliot Engel is, Jamal. He's a deeply Zionist, pro-Israel hawk who has been on the appropriations and foreign, uh, foreign committee in the Congress for so many years, been the chair of these committees, Jamal, and has basically been behind the blank check writing to Israel for years and years He's and years. He's the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He's been sitting as its gatekeeper. For, for decades, Jamal. So for here, decades. But here's the problem for the Democrats and for Joe Biden, and, and they kind of know it. The fact that Jamal Bowman could be could beat Elliot Engel, a staunch Israel supporter, means, and we talked about this last week, because the writing is kind of on the wall politically in the future for the United States, and I would say the world, supporting apartheid practice, the Israeli apartheid practice of what they're doing in Palestine. Jamal Bowen is very progressive. He's very progressive when it comes to Palestine. And as we get close to the election, in November, Jamal, the Democrats know kind of secretly and are freaking out about this. If they are not clear about Palestine and some of these other progressive issues having to do with, you know, health care, having to do with racism, having to do with reparations, having to do with um, police reform, all of these things. If they're not really progressive, they run the risk of having the same crisis that they had in 2016. I, I, should, I should say just that Jamal Bowman is very progressive. He's very progressive on many things, including Palestine, but he's not. I don't want to have this misconception that he is like 100% pro-Palestinian. Yeah, There's he's not. Difference. Yeah. His, policies, his policies are actually closer to the J Street policies rather than APAC. But isn't that 10 times better than Elliot Engel? It, it, it's, of course it is better. He's against the BDS because he made a statement, but he's against right. giving Israel uh, financial aid and military aid to use it 
to, to fund Israeli, basically, human rights abuses against Palestinians. And he made that uh, very clear. He criticized Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and he compared uh, the policing of black people to the military occupation of Palestinians, which is, you know, those are all great statements, you know, but doesn't mean that he's like 100% no, in he's the not. Palestinian camp, and that's fine. That's fine for now. He's fair. He's not going to write a blank check to the Israeli occupation army as Engel has been doing for 31 years. But this gets to our next point, Jamal. I mean, this is something that we talked about before. Because I believe the Israelis and APAC and the pro-Israel senators and congressmen see the writing on the wall, that's what, and we they see that Trump has a really good chance of losing. Although I'm not willing to say that he will lose. That's why you see a ramping up of the apartheid practices, um, increase in the militarization, and you know basically arrest and killing of Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, but that's why you see this rush to uh, put through the annexation plan to steal more Palestinian land because people are so preoccupied with everything else. They see Trump may not be around next year. The international community, Jamal, has been condemning the Israeli annexation plan, including the United Nations. And guess what the Israelis are going to do? They're going to, as as they're known to do, not care about international opinion, not care about violating human rights. They're going to continue to steal illegally more Palestinian land. And that's coming up. Yeah, well, well, exactly. Uh, just quickly on, on Jamal Bowman, we know for sure that this was a big slap in the face. Absolutely. Uh, the face of APAC, you know, and, and it's also a proof that, you know, to, to those who are Israel surrogates in, in Congress, you can lose. That you can lose if you keep the, doing this, and also that for others, that you can also defeat them. You know, if you're organized and you do the right thing. Right. And you have the right message. And you have the right message. So now talking about the annexation, Jess, uh, of course, I don't know if this is uh, baloney or or what, but uh, yesterday, uh, um, President uh, Trump's uh, counselor, Kellyanne Conway, told reporters on the White House lawn that uh, Trump is ready to make a big announcement on the Middle East based on the current talks. So, so, so supposedly Trump is going to weigh in on the annexation. They've been scrambling back and forth. Uh, There's nothing, Secretary Jamal. State Pompeo has been flying to Tel Aviv, coming back. <coughs> uh, you have the uh, U.S. ambassador there. And uh, I think he's now, uh, he came back to Washington and he went back. So there is a lot of movement that we're supposedly, uh, we are waiting to hear this big announcement on the annexation. Meanwhile, I mean, we can read the writing on the wall. Pompeo already said that Israel can do whatever they, they want to do. I mean, it's, it, the court is in, in, you know, is in their uh, yeah, ground, you know. And uh, so I don't know what is this big announcement going. Well, I'll tell you what the big announcement is. The big announcement is... This is the Trump peace plan. Israel will steal more Palestinian land. And if the Palestinians don't get on board, more land will be stolen. That's the peace plan. And it's going to be the same thuggish uh, 
approach that uh, the Israelis have had toward Palestinians for, you know, 70 years. And there is no grand, they're going to just package this, Jamal. Trump and his administration will package this as the grand peace plan. And the grand peace plan is just stealing more land, more Palestinian land illegally. Now, it's important to note that a number of people in the Congress have, have come out strongly against this. So we're beginning 100, to see... 189, that's the right. number. So Almost that's... 200 Democratic House members. So that's uh, a big deal. That's that's kind of, again, an indication that the APAC mentality, people can actually go against it and still be, you know, uh, reelected and things like that. But, but that's I, only Demo Democrats, by the way. Sure, of course. 80, uh, 89. But, uh, you know, in the in the past, Jamal, that would have been, that might have been only 20. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. 20 to 189, I think, is a big is a big improvement. But we should also say that the world has condemned this uh, almost universally. I don't even think the Marshall Islands is on board with this yet. Uh, so um, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. But I can tell you that there is no grand peace plan. This is just going to be repackaged. Annexation, Jamal, will be repackaged as the peace plan. Well, we know, we know. I mean, this uh, deal of the century or steal of the century, whatever you want to call it, was nonsense. Uh, you know, this, uh, the, the uh, Jared Kushner's deal basically is, uh, is nonsense. And that's why they're coming with this thing here, because they weren't expecting that so many people will reject that deal, including the Palestinians, that they can't gather a uh, few Palestinians around the table to talk about it. And of course, Jordan has rejected it and uh, most Arab countries have. I think I think even the Gulf countries, Jamal, which is yeah, unusual, yeah, they, have rejected they, they it. So, so now they're trying to do something, say, OK, well, since nobody wants to talk about it, Israel can go ahead and annex 30 percent of the of the West Bank. And that's why you have, as you've mentioned, you have uh, nearly 200 Democratic House members uh, basically penned a, an open letter to the Israeli leadership today, uh, warning against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to start uh, annexing uh, parts of the West Bank uh, with the Trump's administration backing, starting as early as July 1st. The letter, it was a copy of the letter was sent to Benjamin Netanyahu and to another copies were sent to the defense minister, Benny Gantz, you know, and he's going to be the prime minister in two years, right. supposedly. And of course, one to the foreign minister, Gabi Ashkenazi. Uh, and so the question is, how much Netanyahu is eager, how, how eager is he to kind of like just side 100% with Trump, who might lose? I know you don't, you're not as optimistic. I'm who not. might lose in, in November and then alienate the entire world, including the EU, which, which promised uh, basic sanctions. sanctions. Yeah. I have the answer for you. It's an easy answer, Jamal. Of course he's going to do it. The other thing that's coming up with this in the next few days is the decision in Lahai by the uh, you know by the court in Lahai against Israeli war crimes, we're going to be right. hearing something about this probably in the next right. few days. I, so, it, but the answer is easy, Jamal. Will Benjamin Netanyahu side with Trump and go along with illegal theft of Palestinian land? The answer is very easy. Yes, he will. Of course, he will do it. He may be indicted as prime minister. He will do it anyways. He doesn't care. 
He sees this as an opportunity, whether or not Trump wins or Trump loses. And I think the reason he's doing this is because in his mind, he's made a calculation that there's better than a 50-50 chance that Trump can lose. And if that's the case, he wants to steal as much land in anticipation of that. Yeah, so, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's, this is the policy uh, of um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's a disciple, the disciple of Shamir, basically create facts on the ground. Just keep creating facts on the ground. Doesn't matter that the people complain. Uh, let them keep saying, oh, we want to talk about peace, but then keep stealing more land, keep annexing more land, and then create facts on the ground. Build more settlements, transfer populations, because you are not, no one is going to force Israel to reverse its uh, actions. I mean, so not- put that in the context, Jamal, of all the recent successes with the BDS movement. If the Israelis steal more land through annexation and continue their apartheid practices, the BDS movement will gather more steam. There will be more boycott, divestment, and sanctions coming against the Israeli economy. And you'll see the full force of the EU and progressive forces in the United States and beyond use this as an opportunity to continue to isolate the Israeli economy and isolate the Israelis politically. So, you know, of course it's illegal and it's it's nearsighted and all of that, but all this is going to do, as we're seeing right now in general, Jamal, we're seeing a mobilization worldwide of progressive uh, uh, forces. And at the top of the list of, you know, what issues are on the top of the minds of progressive forces, you have uh, anti-racism, police reform, and the question, you know, economic equity, healthcare equity in Palestine. I mean, those are the top, top issues that progressives want to talk about. So, you know, they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot as usual. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu has hitched his horse to Jared Kushner and Donald Trump, and he's going to be headed in the same direction as them to the dustbin of history. You're absolutely right. We have a few minutes. Jess, I want to comment on is also, and, and, and next week we'll probably talk about it more, is, of course, Israel continues its extrajudicial killings. Right. You know, we, we have know, to like talk about that. A couple of weeks ago or, few, uh, or more, they, uh, an Israeli soldier basically murdered uh, right. an autistic uh, Palestinian, Yad Halla, right. uh, his name. And, uh, and then it, it didn't take uh, many days afterwards. And just like a couple of days ago, they've uh, assassinated Ahmed Arikat. And this is a young Palestinian guy, 27 year old. He was on his way uh, going to attend his sister's wedding, dressed oh, in a suit, going to his sister's wedding at a checkpoint. His car veered to the left. We don't know what happened. He could have had a flat tire. Uh, you know, uh, he tried to slow down, whatever. But the Israelis accused him that he was trying to ram the checkpoint and uh, showed only a sliver, only, I think, 12 seconds of the video. So they didn't show, like, him just moving. And they, they shot him dead. And you could see, like, his mother and everybody is like, they were waiting for him to go to the wedding. He's carrying the wedding invitation with him. He's dressed in, a, you know, in his suit and all these things. They murdered him. Broad daylight, no accountability, just making excuses. So and this is exactly 
what we talk about the similarity, similarity right. to what happens to African Americans here is kind of like shoot to kill, ask questions later. And this is right. the attitude. It's uh, the same thing. The, the same thing. You're right, Jamal. And the same thing that's happening in this country, confronting that racist, you know, uh, murders of uh, African Americans by police and state force, the same movement against that is going to happen against uh, the militarized police state of uh, the Israel. It's going to happen. And um, these similarities between what's happening to black Americans and Palestinians in Palestine is so overwhelming, and people see it, Jamal. That's right. Well, we're coming to an end uh, to another Arab talk on KPOO San Francisco. Subscribe to all of our podcasts on our website. Just uh, go to ArabTalkRadio.com. You can watch us on YouTube. You can watch us on my page, Facebook.com slash Jamal Dejani too. And we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Thank you.